We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Well, uh, I've got a couple of things on my mind today. Uh, one is just a continuation of our series in working with our children, which is to say working with ourselves and then with our children. Um, but I also wanted to just uh, highlight, I mentioned with the men yesterday, highlight uh, a little pastoral uh, burden, need perhaps, uh, in some of our hearts. Uh, you know, when the Lord... Um, and the disciples interact on a number of occasions. The disciples would experience situations where they would say, you know, we, we need to have more faith. Uh, or, um, you know, oh, you of little faith, uh, increase our faith, that sort of thing. And so I uh, suspect if the Lord uh, interacted with his disciples that way, that he probably would have to interact with us that way on a quite regular basis because we have weak faith. And so a little burden that I had is to help us increase our faith with respect to various practical matters uh, in life. And I just jotted down a few of them um, that I thought I would bring. So uh, as I thought about this, I thought, boy, I might step on somebody's toes today. So um, put on your Bible boots, okay? Bible boots have steel toes so that if you get stepped on, your toes don't get hurt too bad, all right? But you know you've been stepped on. Um, so faith with respect to traffic, weather, illness, and interpersonal issues. Let me explain scenarios. Traffic. The roads might be filled with people driving, and I, you know, you don't like that. It's a pain in the neck, and I cannot control my temper sometimes when the people drive crazy, uh, or it's just uncomfortable to me for me to be around so much so much traffic. Weather, it might snow, and I won't be able to make it back home from church. Uh, or it might be dangerous to go out today because of the weather. On the illness scenario, I might get sick if I go to church. and Or you might be in a situation, I'm not really that sick, but I want to go to church. Um, or I have an awkward situation in my personal life, and I'm not going to church because I don't want to deal with that people asking me questions about it. Or I have a beef with somebody at church, so I'm not going to go there because if that person is there, I cannot go there. I will not be in the same building as that person is. These are all scenarios that I have encountered, okay? Should I not have said that? Oops, I just said it. Uh, <laughs> you think, that's re some of these are crazy. Well, yeah, that's uh, maybe. Remember, there's risk in everything. We've said that before. Paradoxically, there's risk in doing nothing. Did you know that? There's risk in doing nothing. I often give the illustration of uh, finances. You know, sometimes the risk of doing nothing feels better 
while it's certain, it is certain that it has a clearly worse outcome. You know, keeping your money in the FDIC-insured bank account at 0.1% interest seems safe because the number never decreases. But you think, oh, if I put my money in a money market, there is some risk that I could lose it. But at least it earns something near the rate of inflation. So it's actually safer to do something that seems riskier to that risk-averse person than it is to do nothing just keep it in the bank account. Um, another example, insisting on having church at home when you are well enough able to go out. Uh, th this is an example like keeping your money in the FDIC-insured bank account, having church at home because you don't want to go out, you have your excuses, uh, that sort of thing. It, it's easy to not realize the cost of this or the risk of it because the cost or downside of that approach to disobeying God doesn't become manifest until the day of judgment, right? So it's easy to put off the fact that you are, by staying home, in active disobedience to God. Of course, if you're able to go out, physically able. Um, you know, the, the, the live stream doesn't, doesn't make it easier or does make it easier to have small faith, as it were, because you can comfort yourself that you're doing what you can and what you're, you know, when you're not doing what God thinks you can. Anyway, just some comments. On the specific scenarios, traffic. Do you have enough faith in God to carry you through traffic delays, congestion, construction, etc.? Holiday traffic up and down Washtenaw. You know, avoid washing off at all possible, right? <laughs> it's funny. Our brother Dave, uh, missionary to the uh, children in, in the schools, you know, uh, down in Lenaway County, and he says whenever he comes up in Ann Arbor, the traffic is crazy. Well, for us, it's not because we live here, and it's just normal. It's crazy on football Saturdays right before the game or after the game when they close roads and direct traffic both, both sides of Ann Arbor Saline Road out to the highway or whatever. That's crazy. But normally it's not crazy. But he thinks it's crazy because, you know, two cars go by his house a day or something like that, you know. I mean, I used to live in the country too. Every car that went by, you're like, wow, who is that? What's going on? You know, you're really in tune to it. <laughs> especially when you're kids, you know, you don't have a ton of things going on. So weather, you know, uh, on the weather, it might snow quite a bit, you know, one inch. It's supposed to snow today, isn't it, as they said? I didn't even think of it today. You know, one inch, that's nothing. With appropriate caution, you can drive safely. What about 10 inches? Of course, that's a problem. Your car's not going to be able to go through it unless you have a truck like some of our church families do. But... Um, even if you're surprised and the snow comes earlier than planned and you get stuck at church, say, what's the worst that happens? Being stuck at church, that's terrible. I mean, spending more time with God's people, awful, you know. Uh, stay here overnight or more likely somebody else will drive you home or you can stay the night with another church member who lives closer, whatever. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. We act as if these things are world-ending events. You know, compare these sorts of things to the real trials that people in the world, our brotherhood, experience out there. The real trials, real trials. Um, you know, the 
the fact of uh, the weather and our kind of current culture has kind of become frustrating to so- some of us who have some Michigan weather experience behind us. We've had one or two school closures based on forecasts, and the next day, no snow actually comes, or like, you know, a few flakes. Um, the risk aversity of society has infected us in the church. I see it, I see it clearly that risk aversity, and we become scared even at a forecast which might be wrong. I mean, we're more scared of the forecast of the weatherman who's wrong at least half the time than we are of what God says. On the sickness, you might indeed get sick if you go to church, but you know you might get sick if you go shopping. And I bet this last week you probably spent more time shopping than you do in church. Maybe not, maybe. How many hours did you spend shopping this week? Good, um, good sales and all that sort of stuff, Black Friday and everything. Or you might get sick if you go to work or some other social event or family function. You know, don't try to deceive us that the only thing you do in a week is go to church and you could get ill nowhere else. If you have enough faith in God to go out to those other activities, you should have enough faith in God to gather for worship too. Now remember, uh, this gives me an opportunity just to say about our illness policy because we're in the holiday period and we have lots of activities going on and we don't want to spread anything that we uh, can avoid to spread. Basically, the rule is simple here at the church. If you're sick, stay home. If you're sick, stay home. If you're possibly contagious, stay home. If you're on the edge of contagion, we call it contagion, like days after your illness has resolved but you still have a cough, you know, you might be able to come and stay away from people or wear a mask or diligently cover your cough. Better yet, use some cough medicine to uh, suppress that cough so you don't make everybody around you discomforting, uh, discomforted by, you know, the person behind them hacking their head off. Uh, If you're ill, if, do you have enough faith? So the question is, you know, do you have enough faith that you can go to church and not worry about getting sick? But on the other side, if you are not well, do you have enough faith to stay home? You know, will everything at church be okay without me? Does everybody, do I, you know, do I have to be seen by everybody to get my little check mark for the week? Uh, will I be able to survive spiritually despite my absence? Uh, yes, you'll be able to survive. Turn on the live stream in that case and get what you can out of the, uh, out of the situation. Um, do you have enough faith to face these little difficulties in life? That's what I'm asking here, challenging us this morning. What about the awkward situation you have in your life? Do you have enough faith in God to get over yourself? Are you really going to disobey God by skipping church because you don't want to deal with somebody who might ask you a question out of concern for you about a personal situation in your life? Your response to that kind of situation can demonstrate Christ-like humility and a testimony to others that even though you have a difficulty, you are still faithful to God. Okay? You might imagine a circumstance in your life or someone else's that that could become the case. More pointedly, if you have a beef with somebody, I don't know what the word beef means, but you know you got the idea. Okay, if you have something between you and somebody else, do you have enough faith in God to go anyway and trust that God will help you through that beef? 
Do you have enough faith in Christ that he can guide you as to how you yourself might need to change in the situation? Very often the case, you know, person A is upset against person B and B against A, or B doesn't even know that A is upset against B, and, you know, the person A who's saying, look, I'm just not going to go there because that person is going to be there. A has some things they need to change in their heart. I can almost guarantee every time that's the case. I'm not going to go because that other person, I'm going to disobey God. I'm not going to go fellowship with the believers. I'm not going to go worship because there's something wrong in that person's heart. Not the person they have the beef with. You know, maybe you can avoid talking about the subject matter that you are in an argument about with that person. Or maybe you can address the issue kindly instead of avoiding it or addressing it as your conscience pricks you to, to address it, but maybe you don't want to humble yourself that way. You, have, you get what I'm saying? You know, you, I'm right, you're wrong. Well, right there. You probably are wrong in some aspect already, even though you think you're right. Humble yourself. So a lot of these are self-centered versus humility kinds of, of things. The basic idea is that we need to have more faith in God and less reliance on ourselves and our own wisdom. Maybe we could just summarize it by this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. No, I'm going to direct my paths. Yeah, that's how we act. Trust in the Lord and acknowledge Him. He'll take care of the outcome. We need to do this in traffic with illness, with interpersonal difficulties, and with the weather. Oh, us of little faith, huh? Yeah. Let us, let us ask God to help us increase our faith. These are just small things. Pastorally, I want to address that. I wanted to address that because sometime there's going to come big things, you know, you have one to two years. That's a little bigger than whether there's a little traffic jam on Washtenaw. You know, you are going to die. Your loved one, you have to care for a loved one who is sick. And you didn't have that on your schedule. You know, no, you didn't. But you have an obligation. Are you going to faithfully carry that out? So, Practice in the small things because the big things are on the way. Um, second part this morning has to do with our series in working with our youngsters. And let me spend a, a couple of moments talking about a subject that kind of a, was alerted to this week or reminded of, really, but I've been talking about it in different forms to a few different folks over the last months. And that is what I'll call regulating the excesses or the excess tendencies of our children. Every person has pet sins, we might say, or tendencies that they have. You probably saw them in your children. Um, Tendencies or uh, passions that are different for each child, different between boys and girls, and you have to think through now what do we do as parents to to regulate these excesses? So for boys, um, 
in the society. One of the things, or two, two areas that are at issue are their, uh, you know, kind of anger and violence uh, responses, um, and also later on uh, lust in terms of sexual lust, okay, excesses that need to be regulated. Um, various, you know, passions of various sorts. Uh, there's a tend- excess tendencies toward passivity and laziness that some might have. There is a tendency to uh, perhaps have an overactive or underactive conscience, okay? something that we might help our children with. Girls may have excesses in their emotions and their feelings. Some have to control everything, you know, the the bossy child. Um, And generally, this idea of regulating excess has to do with the doctrine of self-control that the Scripture talks about. We have to teach ourselves self-regulation, and we have to teach that to our kids because it does not come naturally, does it? You know, the natural man does not want to have his passions bounded or fenced in by anything. He wants to let them run as he feels that they should run. Um, uh, you know, you might have an excess, uh, an excess in the tendency of, well, if I have a conflict, I, I uh, lash out, or an excess in I withdraw. I've talked about that many times recently, this silent treatment. It's absurd but it's something that people do. Oh, I just make it go away. I just you know, pretend it's not there or just hide from it, not have to talk about it. Uh, regulating excesses, regulating your emotions. Uh, and of course, when I say there's differences between boys and girls, that's just a very broad brush. You know, boys may be more on the, on the fighting side and girls on the emotion side, but Boys have emotions too, and girls can get into you know cat fights as well. So, <laughs> you know, uh, so let's turn to a few Bible passages that deal with this doctrine of self-control. And uh, the first is is probably very well known. It's Galatians chapter five, <clears throat> verses twenty-two and twenty-three. And I just want to point out the centrality of the idea of self-control in the Christian life and ask us to work on implementing that more in ourselves. Practice it with yourself. Say no to yourself. You know, regulate yourself. Shut your mouth when you feel like opening it. <laughs> Open your mouth when you feel like you, you shouldn't, you know, you can't or you don't want to say anything, but you really should. But in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then what? Self-control is how my version has it. Does anybody else have a different one? This is the one right before against such there is no law, the very last in the list, self-control. Anybody have a different translation? Temperance would be a, probably in the King James but that's, that means self-control. That's a good old word, by the way, temperance. Not, not per se related to the temperance movement, but uh, temperance meaning self-control. Um, 
There's way more than this passage, though, in the Scripture on the doctrine of self-control. So let's go back in the New Testament to the book of Acts and look at what Paul shared in his message in Acts 24, verse 25. Actually, in Acts 24, uh, verse 24, it says, And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Okay, typical stall tactic. Don't want to deal with the call of the gospel right now. I'll deal with it later. Later may never come. Um, but I want you to notice that this is central to Paul's message. It doesn't say uh, he talked about righteousness, uh, you know, uh, eschatology, and the Trinity. He could talk about those things, but the summation of what he talked about in this meeting with Felix about the Christian faith was righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. And I wonder, I wonder, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I wonder if Righteousness refers not only to, to judicial righteousness, but also practical righteousness, you know, imputed and imparted righteousness. Self-control has to do with the whole program of sanctification. And judgment to come is what's going to come at the end. Talking about getting righteous with God before God and Christ, self-control during your life, judgment to come. Why do you care about self-control now? Because of judgment later. Why do you care about righteousness now? Because of judgment later. And he puts this right in the center of his uh, speaking to uh, Felix. I found that interesting. Self-control. And does yours have temperance there again? Uh, the translation is consistent in any case. So temperance again. So really... In a way, you could say self-control is inherent in the, in the gospel. It's right in there. It's in, it's, in the, you know, it's in the bowl when you're mixing up your gospel you know, and sharing it with somebody. It's right in there with it. Because you can't have a Christian who is out of control. That, that's not a thing. The spirits of the, sub, of the prophets are subject to the prophets, right? Paul said that's in the prophet level and the teaching level. The idea is, you know, everything's done decently and in order, Paul says to the Corinthians. There's self-control there, uh, unbridled outbursts of emotion and words and, and things like that. Not, no self-control in that. So very important. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, this in the uh, men and women context here, 1 Corinthians 7 Five, speaking of a, uh, how can I say, an inherent or core part of the marriage relationship, do not deprive one another, that's of intimacy, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of what? Your lack of self-control. Lack of self-control. So... Uh, the reason for intimacy in marriage, not the reason, a reason is in part for the self-control issue that Paul brings up because he knows it's a problem for us, for humans in general. Verse number 9, 
speaking to the unmarried and widows, it's good for them to remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn burn with passion, is what he's saying there. Okay, so that's, that's also, so self-control at the core of the gospel, a problem with self-control at the very core of our being, Right? So the two are working on each other here, working against each other. The spirit is at war against the flesh, isn't it, the case? Uh, Let's look at 1 Timothy 2.15. talks about uh, Adam for, formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Brother Jansen can come and explain the meaning of that verse to us. Right, brother? You got it? You still got it up here? Uh, so that's a, that is a bit of a enigmatic verse, but obviously he's not saying that somebody can be saved by having children. Uh, and I don't really think that it's saying that they can be you know, rescued in the midst of, chi- physically rescued from childbearing pain or anything like that. But the point is that they're continuing in faith, love, and holiness and with self-control. So we're pointing it out, self-control in the gospel. We're pointing out self-control for women here, self-control for both men and women in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, 2 Timothy 3, 3. This is kind of an uh, expose on how people behave in, uh, in an unrestrained fashion. And uh, we'll start in 2 Timothy 3, 1. But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, listen, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. You see that today, right? I mean, you see that in the riots that occurred on the streets, you know, back in 2020 and other times, without self-control. We saw it several times yesterday on the television on the football field. Self-control, even if you, I, I told our boys this, even if you win, even if you make a great play, I don't think it's right for you to tear off your helmet and run around like a crazy man, you know, and take a 15-yard penalty. I think it's dumb, okay? Regulate yourself. You know, I can easily imagine a situation where you're 15 yards back, you're on the 10-yard line, and you muff the, the uh, you know, handoff from the center to the quarterback, fumble, gets picked up by the other team, and they go in and win the game more distance you have from the goal line at your back is better. So you've got to think. 
and you have to exercise self-control. And I'm try, trying to say that that's you know that's it's not the best example, but you had other you know examples in games where there were you know guys getting into scuffles over stuff, and it's just like guys just walk away, let the other team take the penalty. You don't have to do that. Have self-control, and that's it's an it's kind of a small version. You know, or kind of also with regard to the, you know, the kind of uh, what's the visceral hatred that some people have toward their opposing team. You know, Ohio State is made up of human beings made in the image of God. And they do have feelings. And they have hopes and all of that sort of thing as well. Control your passions because, you know, Fortunately for us, we've been able to kind of channel those feelings towards sports rather than channeling them as they do in the Middle East towards other people groups that they want to kill. But it's the same species of thing going on in the heart. You realize that? And we need to be careful. We need to regulate those feelings and emotions and put them in their place. Say no to them. Uh, Titus 1.8 Titus 1.8. Here's qualifications for elders that Titus was left on Crete to appoint in the various cities there. In verse 8, he has to be hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. So obviously, pastors need to be self-controlled as well. Church members, self-controlled, all Christians. That's at the core of the Christian faith. So a leader in the Christian faith is going to have to have some measure, good measure of self-control in his life. And then finally, the other verse that I found related to this idea is in 2 Peter. So find your way after Hebrews and James and all of that. And then 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number, well, 5. We'll start at 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. And then Peter makes the additional comment, if these are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are the kinds of things we ought to be prioritizing in our Christian life. Diligence, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. And of course, right in the mix there is self-control. Self-control. We need to be adding that. Some of us have a good measure of that in some areas, not in others. Some of us are kind of more, we could say, more naturally good at that than others, but we all have to work at it. All of us need Self-control. Regulate our emotions, our passions, our anger, our passivity, our laziness, our overreactions to situations, perhaps hatred, violent tendencies, conscience, sexual lust, feelings, our desire to control everything and all of that around us. We need to have self-control. So that was the second major item on my agenda for today. And... uh, We'll get back to uh, kind of following a little bit more the outline of the text that we've been using to uh, study 
raising children next time as God wills. Um, But I would say we need to think about how can we cultivate this in in our children. And again, practice and you know, actions and also communication are two th- areas where we've been talking about how to in, uh, kind of influence our kids to have this. So we need to talk to them, you know, about self-control, controlling their emotions when they feel like grumbling about doing something or whatever. Uh, those are very important elements to uh, our walk in the Lord with our children. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to the end of our session this morning already, and uh, I pray that this has been challenging and helpful to us, each one. Whether we have children or not, whether we are a child or not, we need to learn these things, and uh, thank you for teaching them to us. Thank you for these, what, eight or nine or ten verses, however many we looked up, that Make it clear that self-control is an important element of our Christian faith. We do acknowledge, Father, that the Spirit of God dwells in us and He, in a a way, controls us, but really it's more of an influence. And we are influenced by the Spirit to control ourselves consciously and conscientiously. Help us uh, in that regard, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.